The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, put down your Intel chip war protest signs and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 582 with guest Scott Hanselman, recorded live Monday, July 26, 2010. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms, WPF, Silverlight, and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who's rejoicing over the plugging of BP's gaping hole, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl, it's Richard, it's Scott Hanselman. Hey. Well, yeah, it's, weird. it's good to have you on the show. Uh, Yeah, that's just the way we do it over here. So, yep. uh, on the East Coast, that's an East Coast thing. Yeah. We, uh, we normally start our show with, uh, a little better know framework and then, uh, Richard read an email. So, but we thought we'd just invite you to, to comment on all of that stuff. Oh, I appreciate it. all of that stuff where I wasn't there. That was awesome. That's great. I want to actually try this. I'm going to go to Quiznos today and be like, welcome back to Quiznos. I'll just walk in like that. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a Sammy. Let's roll that crazy music now. <laughs> the system.windows.media.imaging.bitmapmetadata class. So today's choice was as many dots as you could find. Yeah, I just figured let's go five namespaces out and we'll find <laughs> something. So this is, and the reason I brought this up is because it's obviously does what you think it does. It provides support for reading and writing metadata to and from a bitmap image. Interesting. And this is cool because there's been all sorts of standards. Uh, EXIF is currently, uh, well, not currently, but EXIF is one of the standards that's used by JPEGs to uh, store all sorts of information, including geolocation from cameras. Um, you know, there's simple text fields like title and comments and description, stuff like that. And you can pull that stuff, you know, you can write it into a JPEG file and read it out. And the, uh, the bitmap metadata class is good for that. However, it's a WPF only class. Does not exist in Silverlight. Oh, interesting. So one of those distinctive, uh, differences between the two XAML stacks. That's right. However, there is a really cool library on, uh, what is it, on the code project. And if you go to shrinkster.com slash 1EV4, 1EchoVictor4, you'll see that XIFLib uh, by Simon McKenzie is a .NET 2.0 XIF data extractor. Now, um, if you follow the links, you'll find a version that works with Silverlight. And the reason is because uh, some of these used system.drawing.imaging. And, of course, system.drawing is a old technology. Right? We use system.windows.media.imaging now. So uh, if you just follow the, follow the links there, you'll find the Silverlight version. Cool. There it is. And, by the way, um, found this out of necessity. Oh, did you? Yeah. 
What did you need out of the JPEG description? Well, I'm working on a Silverlight slideshow kind of thing that does uh-huh. the nice Ken Burns pan zoom effect. You know, just sort of like Windows Media Center does when you do right. a slideshow. I love that effect, but I wanted to do a Silverlight version. So, And I wanted to display some text over the picture. You know, what is this picture? A comment or something like that. So rather than having a separate database where I associate those two fields or something like that in a web service or some kind of service, I just decided to embed it right in the JPEG. It works good. Cool. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, well, you know, I, I got to read this email since it's sent, addressed to both you and Scott. It's, hey, Scott and Carl, I've been listening to your podcast for a couple of years now. I was finally able to, quote, pay my dues by purchasing licenses of the full Telerik suite for my entire team. I gave you both shout outs and asked Telerik to continue sponsorship of your shows. Thanks for your time and energy to move our field positively forward. That's from Nate Jackson. Mm-hmm. Didn't say where he's from, but uh, I'll get him a mug anyway. Hey, Nate, thanks for the great email. Yeah, it's just proof that what we're doing uh, helps. Yeah, it works. It's, it's all a good thing. And if you got questions, concerns, ideas for a show, just want to say hello, send us an email, franklins.net. Every once in a while, I get uh, emails like this, that, uh, and you do too, Richard, and you do too, Scott. That's, uh, you know, people are thankful that we introduce them to something, whether it's a sponsor's uh, product or or something that we mentioned on the show. It's just, you know, goes to show you, you just listen and good things happen. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I think Scott's comatose. Scott, wake up. I'm just listening, waiting for something good to happen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what are we talking about? Web Matrix. The Web Matrix. Wasn't the Web Matrix. A- wasn't that a movie with Keanu Reeves? I was going to say, wasn't that already a product name? Well, I mean, it was a thing that Nikhil Katari worked on about eight, nine years ago, but it was a good name, and it hasn't been used in a long time, and it's already gone through legal, and it this this new one is kind of like the return of the web matrix, so it d- didn't seem like a bad idea. So is it based on the same product idea, or is it a completely different thing? Mm, in that they are both IDEs, yeah, but the original web matrix had more of a front-pagey kind of a vibe to it. And new web matrix is kind of like a uh, super, super easy, like Visual Studio is kind of a dashboard and, and, and a scary car. Mm. And this is more of a, uh, of like, you know, like the very first time you ever sat in a Prius. Yeah. Like a Toyota Prius. And you just went, oh, I push this button to make the car go. Oh, that's amazing. And it's just a much more relaxing, less intense, less kind of Lamborghini kind of a vibe. But it allows you to like click a button and go into Visual Studio if you need to. So it's a simplified UI, a simplified user interface. Yeah, but it's more than just like removing stuff. It's um, a simplified workflow. Okay. So this is part of the platform installer? Well, so most anything good is going into the web platform installer. So there's kind of two separate issues. There's there's the release of Web Matrix, and then there's the fact that they use the Web Platform Installer to do the installing. Okay. Right. They use the Web Platform Installer just because it's a great kind of like Windows update for .NET kind of thing. I mean, Web Platform Installer is bigger than Web Matrix considerably. It's also it's also a friendly wrapper around Web Deploy, or what you might know of as MS Deploy, which lets you take you know big packages of stuff like DOS Blog or BlogEngine.net or Umbraco and install it directly. And then it's uh, a configurator. So you, is that a word? Configurator? Mm-hmm. Configurer. It lets you configure like IIS and install SQL Express. And it basically a bunch of stuff that was hard is checkbox easy with, with the web platform installer. I think people are focused on the web platform installer because that's the way that you get web matrix. Well, I'm looking at uh, Microsoft.com slash web slash web matrix. And uh, I notice it's all about the workspace. So the workspace is this idea for, um, well, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm going through these different workspaces and they just look like Windows, you know, like sort of the Windows like the Solution Explorer would have or the, the toolbox or something like that. But but I, we're not seeing the rest of the screen when we click these things. We're just seeing the left-hand side. But I guess the whole UI changes depending on what workspace you're in. Well, yeah, there's, there's like, it's kind of like Outlook, 
in the sense that you've got the site, the files, the database, and then reports. So the idea is that um, you know you sit down and you're probably going to de- deploy a site or start with something. You're not typically going to go and say new blank project. So unlike Visual Studio, it tends to uh, WebMatrix tends to nudge you more towards um, starting from something and then modifying that. Um, there might be a, a large number of people who aren't actually going to go and write code with this. So they may never really see code. They may start up, say, make me a new site from the gallery, go in the gallery and pick something like Screwturn Wiki or Umbraco, hit OK, and then immediately go and find hosting and then upload it. So don't necessarily look at WebMatrix as a uh, a poor man's or an amateur's IDE. It, it, it could also be an you know an enthusiast deployment tool, and they may never look at the code at all. It's it's really good deployer, and it helps you find hosters really easily. Like the first thing I did with it just to test it because I knew that the code part would be fine was to find a hoster, sign up, and deploy, and see how quickly I could actually get a live site running. I tried it with every single one of the hosters that we have. So if you're thinking, like, I need a wiki for this project to start everybody being able to collaborate and add contribute material into the wiki, this is all you'd need. Download this, click a few switches, deploy the, the, the wiki, find yourself a hoster, done. Now you can start working on it. Right. So this is assuming that your host, and this is, that's how their whole, whole discussion, there's a bunch of people out there that say it should be hoster instead of host. Right. That's, yeah. So... Yes, if if you don't already have a relationship with your host or your host doesn't offer something like Screwturn or Umbraco, because some do, you can just go there and push a button and say, I want Dustblog. Right. You'll set that up. If they don't, you just have like a $5 a month host. You can automatically deploy stuff because MS Deploy has this special endpoint that allows you to do a lot of the things that would require you to email your, your hoster. And that's kind of the thing that, is happening in the .NET hosting space right now, is that before it was like five bucks and you get this kind of cheesy control panel and FTP access. Right. But with, with MS Deploy or Web Deploy, MS Deploy is the, the internal engine. With Web Deploy, there is a um, an endpoint that you'll hit. I think it's like msdeploy.axd. So I, like I, for example, I went and I signed up, I think with um, Applied Innovations. I go up. I sign up, no credit card required. They'll give me free hosting until uh, next year. Then they send me an email uh, with all of the different endpoints and information, and I literally just t- transfer from the form that they sent into WebMatrix and hit deploy. And not only do they, of course, upload the thing, but they set up and configure databases. They, uh, you know, set up the app pool. I mean, not only does it, of course, um, set up the app, you know, the app domains and all the different things, but it could set up permissions as well because the package itself for the application knows what it needs. Like DOSBlog needs write access to the content folder. That's right. the kind of thing you'd either have to email the host and ask them. And of course, they don't want you to email them because you're paying them $4 a month, right? If they literally, if the phone rings and they pick up, they've lost their $4.95 that month. So the, the, the goal for these value hosters is to not talk to you. So if the software will do that work for them and you get a great experience and they don't have to talk to you, all the better, right? Yeah, and you've got a much nicer UI inside of the, the web and deploy than you, than you did off that little web page widget that you're trying to use. Right, right. And the whole point is that if you want to deploy, you want the package to know what it needs, assert what it needs, and then have it just work. Yes, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone and set permissions for the ASP.NET account for mm-hmm. DOS blog and the content and log folders. Right, right, exactly. It's a shame that I'm actually good at that. Yeah, nothing wrong yeah, with that. You, you just reminded me of something, Scott, that uh, that uh, my DOS blog has not been working since I moved it to a new server, and I think that's exactly what the issue is. <laughs> yeah. See, I bet if yeah. you installed it with this thing, then it would it would reassert those settings. Because the idea is that that the fact that you have to think about that is 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 a bummer. Yeah, big bummer. Yeah, and I'm I'm sad for you. <laughs> I hear violins. 
<laughs> tiny, th- tiny. This light sounds light. like a. This sounds very non-dev. Actually, it's a very IT-like scenario you're describing. You no, know, I think it's somewhere between IT and enthusiast. I mean, I imagine like, like I, I think of these two different people in my life, and this is this is true stories. I think of the guy that mows my lawn, and I think of the guy who makes sandwiches for me at Quiznos. These are both people who have a specialty in another thing that is not computers, right? One guy owns right. a Quiznos, and the other guy is owns a landscaping company. But my landscaper guy will call me with questions about Windows Home Server, right? And yeah. um, my, my the, the guy at Quiznos is always trying to figure out how to like you know push high def via Skype, right? So these are enthusiasts. This is the kind of thing I could hand them, and they could put up a site for their business or their little league or their church or whatever. And it's it's not super super basic, but it's pretty darn basic. But if they started feeling like it was cramping their style, then they could jump into like Express, and then if Express mm-hmm. was cramping their style, they could jump into to Pro. They could also hand it off to somebody and not have to start over. Exactly. They could hand the code to somebody and, and move and move forward. Like another another example would be um, in Portland, we have this place called Pioneer Courthouse Square, and this is kind of like the living room for the for the city, and it's made of bricks. And they have like um, events, and I think like Will Wheaton came over one time, and they have uh, concerts and stuff. So it's our city's living room, and each of the bricks has someone's name on it. So you buy a brick, right? So the city basically, one individual at a time, bought this this giant square in the center of the city. And there's thousands and thousands of bricks. I think it's like 90,000 bricks. A long, long time ago, I wrote a cheesy classic ASP application that would help people enter in their name, and it would find their brick, and then it would dynamically generate a GIF and then put an X over the brick. That little basic two-page application would kind of like be a classic web matrix kind of a thing. It right. would be a you know, really, really simple application um, that, that, that I could then hand to somebody and they could deploy themselves because they don't have an IT department, but they do have IT needs. But they're also excited about technology, so they are kind of like, I guess, enthusiasts would be the word. It's kind of an overused word, but that's a it's a it's a good one. I'm still trying to nail down like what the skill set would be for this enthusiast who you would give the web matrix to. Would would they have to know C sharp or VBnet? No, I, well, it depends on whether they wanted to make a change. Like, if they wanted to just look at applications, pick applications, and then deploy them, they wouldn't need to know anything. They'd never even need to see that there was code. They could use web matrix as an entirely deployment-specific tool, if they felt like it. Somebody who, uh, the, because typically those people tend not to be developers, and if you've if you've done any development uh, with you know C Sharp or VBNet or ASP.NET, any any language, would you necessarily be using Web Matrix? If you're, a, I, I said on my blog, I actually said, if you're not, if you're reading my blog and you're not my wife, this is not for you. So I would probably say. <laughs> Probably no one right. who read my blog who is a developer, no one who's making money would use this probably. So that begs the question, why does this but, have any kind of coding anything? In it? Why does it include any code at all? Right. Why Why? Why can you write code with it? So let's say that you're um, you know, 15 and you want to put a website up for maybe a small business or something that you're starting to figure out. You're tinkering a hobby or like I say, a little league. You could give them something like Umbraco or a basic thing out of the box, but they might want to build something themselves. I guess what I'm getting at is before you can build a website, you have to know the language. So it, sure. would, would this be a good tool for someone whose end goal is to put up a website, but in the process is going to learn C Sharp or VBNet? Oh, yeah. I mean, as far as like an onboarding kind of a tool, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Like if you go to the if you're on the web matrix page, there's overview features, and if you click on learn, it'll walk you through like you know welcome here's HTML and here's CSS super 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 basic stuff. Okay. It would be a very good place for a teenager or a college student to to start or a hobbyist to to get going. So definitely. Now, I mean, there's another element of this, which is that if you're the one man band kind of developer. This is a very easy way to get sites up for cheap that you used to have to do a lot more work for. Like, Well, that's interesting that you say that because some professional developers are saying, yeah, well, this is not something that I really want. But 
if as a way to bring an app down from the gallery and modify it and then send it back up and deploy it if you are a one man shop that is doing that kind of stuff like putting together open source software yeah and 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 uh, charging people for it for the for the privilege then that would be pretty cool just you know there there's plenty of folks out there that don't want to deal with it at all they look at you and say make me a wiki well, I can do it the hard way and spend a few days doing it, or I could do it this way and have it up in an hour. Sure, exactly. So, I mean, I don't want to automatically say only hobbyists are going to use this. Well, I would say also, though, that there's things... Remember that WebMatrix is a beta, and we've introduced some stuff in the last couple of weeks that uh, in the context of WebMatrix and in the context of, of the basics, like Razor and SQL Express... Uh, SQL Compact Edition, or what is it called? SQL Compact Edition 4, that are pro, have, have pro dev things about them, like also IAS Express. Right. So I think that pe- people should hang back and, and give us a second to reconcile all that, if you know what I'm saying. Right. Get, let, it, let you get out of beta and deal with all of those little issues. Because clearly, professional developers are going to want a version of IAS that doesn't run as a service and you don't need to be admin. Right. right, you know that's just hotness, and the idea that that we would only let basic folks do that, then that would be bad. And then SQL Compact, of course. All right, so Scott, I just went through all of the Web Matrix how tos, and there's what ten of them, I think. Okay. And um, I didn't see one yeah. line of code anywhere. I mean, I saw a little bit about HTML, hello world, like head body title, you know, H one P. But there's nothing there about learning how to write code. So I'm on the Web Matrix site at Microsoft.com slash web slash web matrix. Just okay. click on learn. And then on the left hand side where it says start from scratch, just click on more tutorials. All right, I got it. Hang on a sec. Oh, okay. So what I did was I clicked on read the tutorial, and then down below that there's another one that says more tutorials. Right. And so, so at this point, you you should no longer be allowed to code. Because you failed the you failed the web matrix test. You can't navigate our website. <laughs> oh, oh my program. fault! Because I clicked on the shiny icon instead of the link right. that was instead of the obscure blue icon at the bottom there. Yeah. So <laughs> so in looking at this more tutorials, uh-huh. we have a few categories here. Getting started coding with Razor syntax. Mm-hmm. Razor, and I know you brought that up a little bit, but let's tell us tell us a little bit more about Razor. So. People have felt that, well, people have felt, <laughs> the truth is, uh, web forms and the kind of the web forms, uh, style of syntax is pretty complicated, especially when pages get complicated. Uh, you know, they call it that bee sting syntax because it turns yellow and you've got the little less than and, and, uh, razor is a code focused markup that, um, tries to kind of Get in and get out as fast as it can. It tries to have the you know really few number of characters in order to um, say what you need to say, and it's it looks a lot more like C sharp or like VB, hmm. and it softens the transitions between the language and HTML. The transitions between uh, the language that you're writing and the HTML that you're outputting with ASP.NET kind of regular syntax is pretty dramatic. And there's a lot of characters, and it's visually busy. The idea is that uh, a common inline expression in Razor would be like the value of your account is at total, but in uh, web in web forms would be the value of your account is less than percent sign colon total percent sign greater than. There's a yeah. lot of noise there, so the only thing in um, in in Razor is just that at sign, and that at sign says this is a variable. So it's really for Input and output and just dealing with variables within text. Well, but you can also say block. So you can say at curly brace and then have a whole block of, of just regular C sharp or regular, regular VB. That's cool. Yeah. So the, the blocks are lighter weight. The, it's less about a new language and more about, um, some brackets around the language that you're already going to learn, like C sharp or, or VB. That's cool. Um, it's really light and it's going to be the default in ASP.NET. MVC three. Okay. 
So they're going to switch ASP.NET MVC, the default, from WebForms view engine to the Razor view engine. The point is that all of the things that have come out in WebMatrix, like the tiny database that runs in medium trust and the cleaner language syntax and the better version of IIS that runs locally are all kind of things that the professional developer is going to want to care about. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret, though, that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight analytics framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight analytics framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com Telerik. So it looks like on this page, which is very cool and very thorough, by the way, this is awesome. Uh, it, it looks like C-sharp in that there's curly braces and the if syntax and the switch syntax and all of that stuff. But um, you said before that Razor is sort of like a, a little um, bridging the gap between the language you already use and, and HTML. So you can use this, this at directive with visualbasic.net as well? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I see. Wow. So Razor isn't yeah. a language. It's really just a um, that... Uh, it's yeah. really that at <laughs> and this is and this is the thing that is kind of like making people feel weird about this it's not a language i would say the, the word that we're saying is it's a syntax yeah for existing languages now here's the part for the advanced people that is like you know has some people frustrated there's a thing already called spark right and spark is a view engine that's probably closer to a language than a syntax because it has its own specific way of doing things People are saying, well, haven't you just reinvented Spark? But Spark comes from the HTML side and adds markup and attributes to HTML to make HTML have coding constructs and loops and ifs and whiles and things. So you can come at it from two directions. You know HTML, and you just want to learn a little bit of extra stuff, then mm -hmm. Spark might be appropriate. If you, if you really like markup and you want the code to be secondary... But if you want, uh, you know, the code and the markup to be separate and for the separation to be clean, then you want to come at it from the other direction. Hmm. Yeah. But it's definitely not a new language. Not at all. Very cool. Very cool. Hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I can see how that would be uh, noise-free. Very, very nice. Well, lower noise. Like, I mean, the tokenization of the variable is enough to identify you should swap that out with a value. We don't really exactly. need all that extra syntax, do we? Well, and there's a lot of really smart stuff in there that, that makes this happen. I mean, like if you say the value of your account is at total exclamation point, we'll figure that out hmm. and do the right thing, and the exclamation point will be figured out as an actual exclamation point and not part of a variable. Oh, okay. So you don't, yeah, we don't have to even protect that. I was, I was getting ready for you to tell me exclamation point means do this. It's like, oh no, syntax coming back. Yeah, it doesn't. And that, what's nice about that is that you don't have to build messages up by switching in and out of code. Right. It you looks know? like a real placeholder is what it looks like. Right, exactly. So that's almost like the string dot formats implied. And you don't have to worry about, about any of that stuff. Very cool. And you have the full .NET framework. But then the cool part is that uh, you know, there's, there's your existing, um, intrinsics. So you can just say stuff like at request dot whatever and, you know, talk about objects that are already around. But then you can make, um, helpers that will just always be around. You know, you, you can have your regular stuff like you could say it's the month of at date time dot now, yada, yada, yada. But someone could make a helper like Twitter and you could just say something like at Twitter dot search or at serverlight.video, and those hmm. helpers would just do the right thing. 
Tell us a little bit about the application gallery. So the app gallery on the on slash web, if you go to um, Microsoft.com slash web, uh, and I think it's slash gallery, is a, a, a gallery of open source applications. In order to be in there, you have to be an open source right. app. These aren't like trial versions of apps you have to pay for. Each one of these open source apps, and there's blogs and forums and all sorts of stuff, is uh, zipped up, and there's a little manifest. And the manifest is a little XML file that says what that application needs in order to install correctly. And that's what is used by uh, MS Deploy, Web Deploy, that main engine inside of Visual Studio. And I did a talk at Mix on this. And what's used by that same Web Deploy engine that's inside of Web Matrix. So that each one of these applications, you can just go to the web gallery, click the big green button that says install, and it'll actually launch the web platform installer by kind of leaping out of the browser because it has a browser helper. So when you install the web platform installer, it registers this web PI colon whack whack kind of custom URL thing. So when you click on something like I'm clicking on .NET Nuke, I hit install, and then literally jumping out of Internet Explorer, it says do you want to allow this website to open a program on your computer? Microsoft.com is trying to run the web platform installer. So I can pull any of these gallery apps out and install and start working with them right away. So that's kind of like the um, initiated from the browser place, uh, excuse me, the initiated from the browser scenario. Or I can go over into WebMatrix, say new site from gallery, and instead of sitting install, I just hit open, and then I literally bring it down, open it up, and then I'm looking at its code inside of WebMatrix, and then I can publish it or whatever. It's pretty cool. So you're seeing the kind of the through the recurring theme of the gallery is everywhere, and we want to make it available to everybody. And the deployment technology, whether it be really advanced command line thing, or integrated into Visual Studio, or integrated into Web. Uh, matrix or inside a web platform installer, it's all the same deployment technology. It's pretty awesome. Well, and there's a ton of apps in here, right? I mean, there's a whole yeah. e-commerce section of this. There is a, a metric ass load. There's a CMS app. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's different from an imperial ass load. Yeah, you have to do the conversion in your head. Yeah, and also there's WordPress and Drupal. So if you want to install mm. PHP. The web platform installer will figure out what you need uh, in order to do it. So, so this is not a like, .NET version. There's a thing of that you Drupal. need in, AI, in IIS. It'll figure that out. So this is not a .NET version of Drupal. This is just PHP running on IIS. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and then web platform installer will figure out what's available, so what's required. For example, Drupal needs MySQL and it needs PHP. Mm-hmm. And the, so and the will, web platform installer will do all that for you. Right. It'll, it'll, it'll basically say, like, for example, I just tried to install .nuke on a new machine and it said, oh, well, you have IIS, but you don't have ASP.NET. I will turn that on for you. Hmm. So what do you see as the, the future of web matrix? Do you feel, what do you feel personally as in terms of this product's adoption? Do you think that, um, we're going to see people Jumping ship from their Visual Studio implementations to Web Matrix when they're doing web stuff? No, not at all. No, I, I think that if a high school or a college or a um, you know a community group were going to put something together and they had some enthusiasts, they might use Web Matrix. I think if high schools were going to teach web development, they could use Web Matrix. Mm. I think that if uh, if, if, if the only time I think a professional would use it would be if they were going to use it for for deployments. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, for me, I just looking at it as a guy who ends up deploying a lot of stuff, anything that makes that less painful. And I'm hoping that... Or more relevantly, anything, you know, anytime I can avoid doing it myself and hand it to someone else and have a fairly good chance that they're not going to make a situation worse, Right. that's pretty compelling to me. But you did say Razor was going to be the sort of the default for MVC framework applications, but not for regular... Uh, ASP.NET applications going forward? Um, so Razor will be in ASP.NET MVC. WebMatrix lets you make applications of any kind. You can make, you can write, you can make a new PHP app and write PHP apps in WebMatrix. You can write, uh, 
Razor apps, what we call web pages apps. Um, you can open up web forms apps. I think Razor will become the standard review engine for, um, for ASP.NET MVC. And then features from web matrix like IIS Express, uh, and, um, SQL Compact Edition 4 will make themselves available inside of Visual Studio. Okay. Cause I think those are the things that are even more interesting than web matrix itself. Like SQL Compact Edition, it's kind of like our own MySQL. It's a little tiny bin deployable SQL database. Right. That is file based that runs in medium trust. And it's still directly upgradable to full SQL Server. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the and thing that's, I find really interesting all this is that the clear path, you know, sometimes these apps get away from you. They become far more popular than you planned on, and mm-hmm. the rewrite is a disaster. So anytime you're telling me that I can actually get up to the bigger tools or I can hand off to a consulting firm or, you know, once the money starts coming in, that's pretty compelling. Exactly. And, it, you know... Think of the old days when they would have built this with ASP and Access, and we rewrote, we cut our teeth rewriting these apps. Well, and this is that's an interesting thing that you brought up because people are say, people old timers, people who remember the original web matrix and front page and things like that, might say, "Wait a second, is this thing Access and is this thing uh, front page?" Right, but it, it's not because it's it's still ASP.NET. ASP.NET hasn't changed. You've got a SQL database that's still SQL Server Compact Edition. It still up, up, upgrades directly to SQL Server very nicely. Um, they're not using anything in the building of a, a site with this that would put them in a bad a bad position. Right. And they could even just and actually you can go directly from Web Matrix and click the um, open in Visual Studio, right, and just switch over. And it is a one way trip, right? Once I've done that, I'm not going back. Well, you could go back, but I think that it would be a one-way trick, yeah. Yeah. I I feel like we sort of run Web Matrix to ground. Like, this is a great product, and it's very interesting to me. Uh, there's a bunch of things I want to do with this. But uh, while, we've got, while we've got you on the line, uh, tell me about your machine. Did you actually oh, get a 7.9 yeah, out yeah. of it? Well, yeah, so... <laughs> 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 so I built this computer... Um, and uh, this is the, we called it the GOM, God's Own Machine. Had right. a couple of people email me who found that that was an offensive term, so I apologize to those people. Yeah, well, because God's computer is all of us. God well, would not run Windows is what I was told. Oh, oh okay. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was the atheist contingent getting all upset with you. No, this was, this was the non-atheist contingent who were offended by God's lack of, apparently God runs a, a custom BSD. Uh, <laughs> he doesn't run a Mac? <laughs> <laughs> I could have sworn he was using a Mac. No, apparently it's a custom it's a custom distribution. In fact, isn't he the guy who unveils the new Macs? Uh, God. You know, nice. I could not tell you, my friend. So um I got the machine and I put it together. Um I put it together live on Ustream, uh, which is disturbing in itself. Uh more disturbing is that eighty people sat with me for four hours and watched me put it together. Nice. Uh, and, and helped me out. I had a lot of really nice and very helpful people who were very giving with their time, uh, who assisted me in the assembly of this thing. And then it wouldn't turn on. So mm. it was like 4.30 in the morning and it wouldn't turn on. And this was like the first time I've had a build go bad. Could not get this thing to turn on. We spent a couple of hours, you know, with 80 people kind of collectively Googling with Bing to figure out what the problem was. And we gave up. The next day, um, I th- sat there and I stared at $3,000 worth of slag and kind of looked at my, um, looked at my warranty and saw that Newegg wouldn't let me return basically any of it. And I just kind of like, <laughs> was like, you know, maybe, maybe the salt in my tears will bring this machine back to life. <laughs> uh, that in fact was not the case. Salt it corrodes silicon really badly. So don't cry on it directly on the motherboard. I've tried, uh, don't empty salt water fish tanks on them either. Ask me Indeed. how I know. I thought about what I could do. I mean, it's either the motherboard, which was the thing that wouldn't boot, or I'd burn the processor, or the power supply. I decided that the processor is Intel, and I trust Intel, so they're probably really hard to screw up, and I'd seen the thing boot once. So then you've got memory, and I tried the memory in different configurations. I didn't think it was that. Then the choice was power supply or motherboard. Well, I can't replace the motherboard because... I'm going to have to spend six to eight weeks waiting for a replacement, yada, yada, yada. 
So I just did a Hail Mary pass and I drove to the local computer place and I said, can you just give me another power supply? Plug the power supply, the new power supply. I switched from a Silverstone to an Antec and then it booted and it booted immediately. So then I spent another four hours with my 80 closest friends on Ustream building the machine. I got all seven eights and a seven nine. So the processor is seven eight, the memory is seven eight, graphics, both gaming and arrow are seven eight. I got a seven nine in the hard drive. Then I moved the hard drive from one controller, one S8, one SATA controller to another, and now it's a seven seven. Not really hmm. sure why. This particular motherboard has several different controllers. I may move it around after that. Hmm. But right now I'm sitting at seven seven. All seven eights in a seven seven. I have not tried to overclock it yet, but I don't see how I could get a seven nine without overclocking both the processor and the um, graphics card. If you were getting a seven nine on on one SATA thing and you moved it, why why didn't you move it back? Well, that was an interesting argument. The idea is that this particular motherboard has a six gigabit a second SATA controller from Marvel. It's like the first motherboard that has that. Right, but it also has some more classic SATA 2 Intel controllers. The belief was that 6 gigabits a second is beyond the scope of what the this particular um, crucial S300 SSD could produce and that this crucial SSD could not even produce enough to saturate SATA 2 that I so that I the belief was that I should not use Marvel and I should use Intel because they're more reliable. Hmm. This was an argument in the chat room. So I moved it over and then kind of spent a bunch of time building out Windows and then remembered that I had not moved it back. So now I just need to get the courage up to switch it back over and see if it still boots. It seems that right now I'm getting an average of about 300 megabytes a second on my on my, my SSD. There's also a point of, could you even feel the difference between 7.7 and 7.9? Well, you know, it's interesting because... I was getting 325 megs a second when I did the benchmark before. And now I'm getting like 270 to 300. Yeah. So arguably I'm down 8 to 20%. I can't really feel it. But at the same time, who knows? It could be the SSD kind of breaking in like a pair of shoes. It could be anything. I doubt that it's the, the difference between SATA 2 and SATA 3. Because each yeah, of those has unlikely. more than enough headroom to, to, to handle that. Yeah. So I would be this surprised is- if I'm saturating those. I mean, the only thing would be how it's coupling into the Northbridge, but even that's like, yeah. But, you know, this is the difference between a scientist and an engineer, right? Scientists, if I'm moving half the distance closer to the door, I'll never actually reach the door. An engineer gets to a point where he's like, yeah, okay, I'm close enough. Well, see, this is the thing that was the most um, difficult about this particular build, is that there were two goals that were really different. The idea is that... I wanted to get a 7.9 just on principle. Yeah. But at the same time, I wanted to make the ultimate developer PC. And right. And not some just felt, spend a right. fortune on it. And some people felt that the trying to get the ultimate developer PC is a good goal and a noble goal, but trying to um, get a 7.9 is just like a bizarre, you know, white whale kind of a thing. You know, it's a total Moby Dick kind of a deal. Well, and, and I mean, to get a real 7.9 means that that's the lowest number in your ratings. Yeah. Which, you know, as soon as you've got your, your processor, memory, and video card coming at 7.8, it ain't happening. Well, you know, I'm looking actually here. See, I'm reading. This is interesting. I'm reading on Wikipedia, and it looks like, of course, Wikipedia being the source of all knowledge and completely infallible, uh, it says that taking into account the overhead of encoding... 2.4 gigabits a second is 286 megabytes a second. Right. Which would mean that I am saturating my SATA 2. But if I switch over here, it says here that um, drives have already saturated SATA 3's gigabit limit of 250 megs net read, but it'll peak at 600. So 600 megs a second. So I might write, you know, I may actually be right up against... The limit of of the, the bus. limit of SATA, so I might switch yeah. back over to that Marvel if I can still get this thing to boot. Well, and it'll probably boot. It's just a question of how annoyed Windows will be. <laughs> yeah, you know who knows? Who knows? 
Right now, heat is my biggest problem because the one thing that I really did that was not the cleverest thing, and I kind of, I, I do admit this in, the, in, in retrospect, is that, um, the, the video card that I got was completely overkill. I got yeah. a, um, GTX 480, the top of the line, um, NVIDIA, because I really like NVIDIA and I feel yep. good about them. But apparently it's just the, the Fermi chipset is ridiculously hot and, uh, it's not well thought of and I should have gotten an ATI, but ATI screwed me over 10 years ago and I just haven't gotten over it. Yeah. And it's, I've always found, you know, if you buy one or two cards below their peak, it runs, it's generally the same set of chips, just running cooler. Yeah, and that's interesting that you say that because a lot of people have said that the GTX 460 is, you know, $200 cheaper and it's, you know, 80% of the card and doesn't have any of the heat problems. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that I, I remember I've got uh, old NVIDIA 6800 Ultras that literally melted the seals in the water jacket. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I've got good cooling in the system and the, the processor right now is running at about 24 Celsius. That's cold. So I'm not worried about this processor, but the GPU is running at 76 Celsius. So we're almost 180 degrees. Which is, yeah. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's like idle. That is not cold. It'll run 200, 220 degrees Fahrenheit if it, uh, it gets going. Oh man. That is too hot. That's boiling water hot. Um, and in fact, it is boiling water hot. So I can always swap, swap out the graphics card, but, um, I'm I'm very happy with the machine so far. I just need to run it for a couple of weeks without it blue screening, you know, just kind of like yeah. so I can really build some trust and a relationship yeah, you, with this computer. You need to believe in it. And you went with the six cores, which, I mean, are you going to use them? You know, people keep saying, am I going to use the six cores? But I'll tell you this. My last machine was a quad, right? So when I opened up Task Manager, I saw, f- you know, four... Four little boxes. Boxes, right? I see yep. 12 now. That's nice. <laughs> Just to and, be clear. Yeah, and you know what ends up usually happening is I see them I have I have eight, you know, I have an I seven. And uh they all are working. They're all doing something. They might not yep, all be fully tasked, but they're all doing something. Well, they may not be doing everything while I'm running Outlook, but if I decide to go and run handbrake and squish some video on one yep. um monitor and I've got you know, and I've got Twitter on another, and I've got Outlook on another, and I've got Hulu running, and then I decide to go and do a video chat. And this is the thing that killed me. On the last, on the last Ultimate PC, the thing that got me nailed every single time was running high def video, um, live broadcast. Yeah. So I use Office Communicator to talk to the folks back at, in Redmond. That requires a quad and uses two, two full processors. Wow. Well, two full processors when you've only got four. Is a lot. That means literally just keeping open a window and chatting with somebody is using half my system's ability. And now it means using one sixth. So the, the, the high def video as a remote employee is so important for me. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have the processor to spare. So doing pair programming was, was crippling, uh, before, but now, now it's not. So I, that, that, that in itself is particular. And that, that may be a very subtle and very specific example. But it's a very specific example that has changed how how my my workday goes. And it's interesting to see hyperthreading back after uh, micro after Intel backed off on it. So you've got like it's actually a six core, but it's got an extra pipeline in it, but only for certain instruction sets. And depending on how your code is written, sometimes you'll end up knocking out both the primary and the secondary core of a given core. Yeah, and I don't I don't claim to understand that. I probably don't have 12 processors, like you're saying, you know. I yeah. have 6 to 8 to 10, depending on what I'm running through them. You have 6 with 6 brain-damaged cousins. <laughs> and sometimes you can hand the cousin, here, eat this, while I'm doing the real work and everything is fine. But once in a while, <laughs> he chokes. And then, the, you know, the brother actually has to pat him on the back to get it cleaned up. <laughs> and that's a better metaphor than either one of you two deserve, I might do say. The Hardware people are going, that guy's a freaking genius, but the rest of you. He's got to do the Heimlich uh, on, on his cousin there. That's exactly what happens. When the pipeline drains, it is the Heimlich. Like, you are barfing 64 bits of instructions out of the pro- out of the core. That was such a high note. We should end on that high note. That was a beautiful thing. <laughs> Works for me.
So, I'm going to go and contemplate that analogy. <laughs> yeah, my mind is blown, Richard. I, I need a nap. Nice. Well, uh, is there anything else we want to talk about before we hang up? No, I have to go change diapers. Okay. Sorry, dude. He's upstairs. He's pooping everywhere. He's well. tra- I'm potty training the three-year-old. <laughs> okay. Uh, someday you will have teenagers too, my friend, and it will be a totally different discussion. Oh, yeah. And you'll probably still be potty training them. Then we'll come on your show and mock you. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I'm okay with that. I'll, I, Richard comes on my show and mocks me all the time anyway. You're welcome. All right. Anytime. Awesome. Until then, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.